We've been uh, going through uh, Philip Gawley's book. Uh, the, the main title, the main title is um, uh, "What if the Church uh, was Christian," <laughs> which is a real catchy title, <laughs> and it's a good question as well. And then the subtitle is "Rediscovering the Values of Jesus." And and so today, uh, today is kind of timely that uh, we're talking about power and, and how power, how we use power. How does the church use power? How do we use power? How does society use the power? And it's a very uh, important question for us to, to address and to think about as well. So here, this is from the, um, the Gospel of Luke, the 8th chapter, starting with uh, verse 40 here. So now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were waiting for him. And just then... There came a name, a man named Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. And he fell at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he, had, <clears throat> for he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, who was dying. And as he went, the crowd pressed in on him. And now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. And though she had spent all she had on physicians, no one could cure her. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his clothes, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And then Jesus asked, Who touched me? Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and press in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. And this is what this line that I always find fascinating. For I noticed that the power had gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she could not remain hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, and she declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had immediately been healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher any longer. And when Jesus heard this, he replied, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be saved. And when he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except for Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. And they were all weeping and wailing for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and called out, Child, get up. Her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and then he directed them to give her something to eat. And her parents were astounded, but he ordered them to tell no one what had happened. This is the the word of God for each and every one of us here today. Amen. And as we take some time just to reflect on this passage, we all have power. Power given to us from God. We have uh, power in our church. We certainly have power in the global church and society. And ask yourself, how do you use the power that you have? How do you use that power that has been given to you? Do you heal and restore or do you use that power often to inflict harm or to harm, harm others? How do we use our power? Let's just take a few moments to pray and to reflect on that. Let us pray.
Amen. <clears throat> well, Carl, um, we, all, we all have these different people that come in and out of our, our lives that influence us and, and change us and make us think about who we are and our role in, in the world. And one of these people for me was, was certainly a, a former student of mine named Carl. Carl was a, a senior in my British literature class in, in Meeker. And Carl was a very kind, very gracious, very respectful and he also happened to be, and I was, uh, as, as I told you many times, I was uh, the football coach in Meeker. He also happened to be the biggest and strongest and fastest kid in the school. He was a physical specimen, and so I was always salivating over Carl. <laughs> because Carl, he wanted more than anything in life. He just wanted to play football, but he couldn't. Because his church, for whatever reasons, prohibited him and other members of his church to participate in competitive sports. And so this just tore Carl up. He so much just wanted to be a normal kid in the school. So every day, uh, Carl would come into British literature, and he just, because he couldn't play, he just wanted to talk about football. And he always say, he always called me coach. Coach, what position would I play? And we would go over all the different places where he might possibly play. And then he'd always say, do you think, and we're a little bitty school, and he's just a 6'3", 245 pounds, and he could run and jump and do everything. Do you think I could even play? I said, Carl. Carl, I said, you not only would play, you're a college prospect. He goes, really? And I said, yeah. You're unbelievable. You're, you're just a prototype of what teams are looking for. And we talk about all the different things he could possibly do. And I remember, and this is, don't tell the principal, but we would draw up all the plays. <laughs> now, what would I do on this play? What would I do on that? And we would go over all of his assignments. He just kind of wanted to be part of the team in some way. And I remember towards the end of the school year, Carl wrote this heartfelt essay about the pain and the sorrow that he lived in because he could never really be fully part of the student body and do the normal things that kids in his class did from participating in sports and other activities as well and he just felt left out and he, he, he just opened up his heart I don't know why my church does this to me I don't understand it at all and I just remember crying reading that essay that Carl wrote well after graduation Carl moved to Denver and after he'd lived there for two or three years, Carl came out as a gay man. And his church, his home church in Meeker, immediately banned him, excommunicated him. And so in Carl's hour of greatest need, his church inflicted even more pain on him. And his family disowned him. I remember a, a friend of mine told me that Carl, because of his character, he even wrote a, the church a letter saying that he was gay and that is who, how God had made him and to please not do anything to his family, that they did a good job of raising him. And it was not their fault for who he was. And this is the character Carl had. Well, Carl's former church and our church, and by our church I mean 
our local church, as well as the global United Methodist Church. We have power. We have power. And the question I'd like for us to ask today and and for the ensuing weeks and months as well, how will we use this power that has been given to us? We can use our power to build up and to restore and, and, and to reconcile with one another. Or we can use power to harm, to wound, or to damage lives. And certainly as a faith community, when we ask this question, we always need to look at Jesus. What did he do with the power he had? He wasn't weak. He wasn't feeble. He had incredible strength, incredible power to do what he wanted to do. And in this passage, Jesus is walking through a crowd. There's a large number of people and everyone's crowding in on him and they all want something. And there is a woman who has been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. Just bleeding non-stop. And she is in pain. Tremendous pain. The same pain that Carl lived with as well. And she said, if I can just touch, if I can just touch his cloak, I know I can be made well. And so she moves her way through the crowd to get close to Jesus, and she reaches out and just touches the fringe of his cloak. And immediately, immediately she is made well. And the bleeding stops. And I always picture all these people around Jesus and he says, who touched me? Who touched me? And Peter says, everybody is touched. Everybody's around you. And Jesus says, I felt the power leaving me. I felt this surge of power, this grace and this love leaving me. And I always imagine as he's walking along, as that, as that lady touches him, that you know how when, you, when that energy just leaves you? or that love, or whatever it may be, I always kind of picture him just buckles. This surge of energy and love and compassion. That healing power leaves him and enters into this woman. And she's immediately made well. And he freely gives her this strength, this healing power love. She doesn't even have to ask for permission. It is freely given. And we call this Trinitarian love. The love, we, talk, we worship a Trinitarian God, the love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's not one is not above the other. They are equals. And what happens within this Trinitarian circle is they receive and share love. And it's just flowing between them. Completely letting go of everything they receive and giving it at the same time. And we're invited to be part of this love and this grace. Holding on to nothing, just freely giving as we receive. 
And this is the power and the grace of God. And this woman is a recipient of this. What's absolutely amazing also about this story is as this power leaves Jesus, he is immediately restored again to full strength. And he goes over to Jairus' house and he goes into that home where his daughter, everyone thinks she has died, and he reaches out to her. And just picture that energy and that goodness running through Christ. And he reaches out and he grabs her hand. Maybe someone has touched you that way before. And you just feel that love, that goodness, that compassion running from Jesus to her. He says, get up. Get up. And she rises up and her spirit has been revitalized. And this is the power of God moving through Christ. The power we receive as well. Paul always says, we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And we are invited to be a part of this movement that heals, that restores, that reconciles. So how will we use our power? The power we have received from God, from Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Brother David is speaking on power and he offers a test for all those who are in leadership, all those who have power and authority. And he says the question we always need to ask ourselves as individuals, as a church, as the larger church, in our government, everywhere, do we use power to build others up or do we use power to put them down? How do we use our power? Do we use power to unite or do we use power to divide? Do we use power to love or do we use it to hate? Do we use power to heal or do we use power to inflict wounds? Henry Nouwen, the, the incredible Christian mystic, he says the most insidious and divisive and wounding power in the world is the power used in the service of God. That's a painful statement. But it's a very true statement as well. He says, and I concur with him, the number of people who have been wounded by religion overwhelms me. I spend a lot of my time talking to people who have been wounded by the church. It just happens over and over again. I find myself apologizing on behalf of the church not our church necessarily, but other churches and other denominations. And saying, give God a chance. Yes, you have been wounded. Yes, the church has been a part of that. But I know God loves you. But the church is also a beautiful place, but it's also a human institution which often lashes out at people. And excludes. 
We all have had different experiences in church. Maybe we've been part of that process as well. But an unfriendly or judgmental word can just harm us. And it can take many, many years to overcome that. A critical remark in church about a person's clothing or their lifestyle. A critical comment about a child's behavior. A refusal to welcome people at the table. When we celebrate communion in a few moments, everyone's going to be welcomed at that table. Because that's the nature of God's love. Carl, even as a child, was never welcomed at that table. And the wound, the wound ran deep. Henry Nowen says, The devastating influence of power in the hands of God's people becomes very clear when we think of the Crusades, we think of slavery. Churches were out in the forefront to abolish slavery, and churches were out in the lead to keep it going. When we think of the history of segregation in our country, the black church led the way to abolish that evil institution, and the white church, for the most part, remained silent. The fight and the struggle for women to be fully ordained in our churches. Many wounds happened that time. The policies of apartheid. And last week, in a special conference of the, of the United Methodist Church, it was held to hopefully resolve the sexuality debate that we've been having for over 40 years. We came together as United Methodists in 1968, and we basically had been discussing and arguing this ever since that time. And by a vote of over 800 delegates, by a vote of 53% to 47%, they voted to uphold the current language in our United Methodist Book of Discipline. This language that says... Homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teaching. And once again, the church showed its daggers and wounded a lot of people. A lot of people who have trusted us to say, we will come back to church again. And we say, we are going to love you and care for you. And the wound has been deepened. But we can find strength and comfort. Even though they've even, not only did they open that wound again, but they wanted to have even more strict laws banning gays and lesbians from ordained ministry. And I have been blessed in my education by so many. So many. And yet we cannot see those gifts or recognize their value as fully welcome into our church and some of my colleagues not many but some of my colleagues have called these actions the work of the Holy Spirit and it's painful it's embarrassing how can you call this the work of the Holy Spirit how is that power being used but myself and certainly uh, the vast majority of bishops in the United Methodist Church, I think every single bishop in the Western jurisdiction 
many of my colleagues and numerous laity, we mourn today that power has been used once again to inflict harm, to devalue life, and further harm lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer people. And there is good news. I talked to our district superintendent, Marvost, and he said many people are struggling and the pain is so real. But he said the energy and the commitment by so many people to say, we are going to stand for radical inclusion in that love of Christ even more so. As a minister, I'm tired of apologizing to people for simply loving our neighbor. Why is that an issue? That's what Jesus calls us to do. And I find myself having to apologize for just doing what Jesus has asked us to do. I hope and pray that we use God's power to heal, to restore, and to forgive. And the good news, as far as I know, hearing from many of you and people in our community, the Mancus United Methodist Church is fully committed to being a fully inclusive church. We will stand with our brothers and sisters who might be gay or lesbian, and we will stand as one with them. And as far as I'm concerned, we can die for them if we need to. But let us embrace that radical love, that compassion, and that goodness. We are all created in God's image, male and female. And God says, you are good. And I love that song we sing about, I threw my shackles into the sea. <laughs> it's an ongoing, let's just throw those shackles off and really embrace Christ. And let that fear go. Using our power, our God-given power to heal, to restore, and to mend our wounds. Because we are all God's children. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. knew something about confronting and working with evil systems and systems that oppressed. And he said, what is needed is a realization that power without love is reckless and abusive. And love without power is sentimental and anemic. And Parker Palmer asked the question, are we using whatever power we have in the service of love? And Jesus tells the woman, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And likewise, may we reach out and touch the hem of Jesus. And may we receive his healing love, power, and energy to heal us and to heal others. And may we use that healing power to stop, to stop the bleeding in the United Methodist Church
and our world. Amen. And I know um, we're all going to be indifferent. We're going to take a lot of time to uh, talk about this in the, today and the suing weeks. There's a lot of pain out there, and we can acknowledge it. Um, but there's also a lot of passion. <laughs> and so while I'm sitting here in the pain, there's so much energy and passion to say, let's do this. We're not going to force anyone, but let's just stand in that compassion and that love. And the whole church, well, there's a lot of energy out there. And I wanted to show a, a video now from our, the Western jurisdiction bishops and about how they feel about everything that happened here.